everyone, and welcome to the I Dream of Dance Dance Talk podcast, highlighting women leaders in art, health, education, and innovation. I Dream of Dance is an international nonprofit organization whose mission is to empower youth through dance and leadership. This second episode of season one is entitled Breaking Boundaries, and we introduce Karen Vogel Lubetsky, who is an amazing woman and also an ultra runner who specializes in ultra distances. I can't wait for you all to meet her, so let's get right into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to I Dream of Dance, Dance Talk Season 1, where I will be highlighting women leaders in health, art, and education. I'm your host, Amanda, and I'm joined by a very special guest, Karen Vogel Lubetsky, and I am so excited for you all to meet her. Karen is a lawyer by profession and runner by passion. Karen has completed multiple Ironman triathlons and has been recognized nationally and internationally for her epic runs and holds three Guinness World Records with her partner and friend, Carrie Grusin, a 72-year-old woman who's a quadriplegic. So thank you so much for being here, Karen. I'm so excited to talk to you. And just for an introduction to myself, My name is Amanda. I am a junior in high school and I live in Maryland. So I was wondering if you could give an introduction to yourself. Sure, absolutely. My name is Karen Lubetsky. I'm super excited to be here. I live in Miami, Florida. I am a mom of three. They are 13, 15, and 17. And I am, as Amanda mentioned, a triathlete. Much more though so these days, an ultra runner. I specialize in ultra distances and I do a lot of racing also with my quadriplegic race partner, Carrie Brusen. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to dive into these questions. Um, okay, so my first question is when did you start running and what or who sparked your interest? When did you know that you wanted to take it to the next level? So it's an interesting question because I didn't start running till much later in life. I grew up a competitive swimmer and running was always our punishment. And I hated running and it had such a sort of um, bad connotation for me. And then I had three kids. I was turning 40. It's sort of a cliche midlife crisis. And I decided that I wanted to run a marathon. And the first marathon I ran was about a week before my 40th birthday And I loved it and I was hooked. And um, now we're 10 years later and I have run, I don't know, well over a hundred marathons. I have, you know, um, six or seven different Ironman or a longer distance couple day triathlons. And I finished 10, 100 milers, four or five, 125 or 135 mile runs. And um, my longest run nonstop is 150 miles. And I have a very specific story. So when I knew that I wanted to take it to the next level, it was April of 2013. And I was running the Boston Marathon. And I was there at the finish line when the bombs went off. And I was there with my family. And at the time, my kids were four, six, and eight. And it was... um, an experience that I had to make a choice. It was either going to 
make me lose all faith in humanity, or it was going to make me find a greater purpose and the best in humanity. And at that time, it was right after that, that I was introduced to Carrie, a mutual friend sort of knew that we both were looking for something more. And I knew that running had to have more than just how fast I could do it. It had to mean something more for me. And that was when I decided I needed to take it to the next level. Wow. That, that is an amazing story. And, um, that's really an unfortunate situation, um, with the Boston marathon. And, um, I think it's really inspiring that you were able to sort of take that and look at it more optimistically and really, um, like instead of, instead of losing all faith, like you were saying, really looking at it in a different light and making something out of it. So that's, that's amazing. You know, what I saw that day is that there were two people that were bad, but everybody around me was hundreds of thousands of people literally trying to work together to help each other. So, you know, it was two versus the rest. And I always believe you, you look for the good in, in that. And so, yeah, it was actually a life-changing event in so many ways but in so many positive, wonderful ways as well. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. So my next question is actually you raised, I think it's $300,000 so far for childhood cancer research through benefiting the Childhood Cancer Project in only three years through all of your races, which you detailed, which is absolutely amazing. And I wanted to know, why is running for a cause important to you? And why did you choose cancer research? Yeah. So, you know, again, I go back to that day in Boston, like I just realized that it had to mean something bigger than just me. And in 2015, I, one of my very dear friends, sons was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, an aggressive form of pediatric bone cancer. And I felt helpless and I wanted to help her. And I just didn't know what I could do and how I could help. I had a race coming up a few weeks after he was diagnosed. And whenever somebody hears like I'm running hundred miles or 125 miles, they always want to talk about it. And I realized in those couple of days before I was like, wow, I actually have a platform and people actually, I didn't think anyone would be so interested in me running for, you know, anywhere from 18 to 27 hours straight but people always had so many questions and they wanted to talk. So I thought to myself, wow, I actually have a platform for drawing attention to things through my running. So why not do it for Josh? And I really believe that we all have special talents and they just lie in, in hidden sometimes in unknown or undiscovered ways. But if we all use each of our talents in a way to help others, that's the way we're going to change the world. So I started out with that first race that was coming up. And I thought to myself, what if I ask different friends to sponsor me for one mile of the hundred miles? And I just started asking people and talking to people and then local businesses. And everyone said, yeah, I'm in. I, you know, my favorite number is 26. I'll take mile 26. My favorite number is 34. I'll take mile 34. And in that first year, in three short months, we raised $1,000 per mile for the Keys 100 Ultramarathon. So it was $100,000 for one race. 
Wow. That, that is remarkable. And that is so amazing that you were able to think creatively and really gauge your platform to make change. That's, that's amazing. Well, thank you. And I think that everybody has something to offer. We just have to find that. And there's always a way to use your hobbies, your beliefs, whatever it may be for a greater good. Yeah, I, I think I think that's an amazing message. And being able to really think creatively and connect your passion to another cause that you really care about is something really meaningful and really beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Okay, so next, um, a huge achievement is that you've earned three Guinness World Records. So could you tell our listeners about like what it, what it was in, how that happened, everything about it? Absolutely. So I mentioned a little bit earlier, I have a quadriplegic race partner, Carrie Grusin, and she and I met when she was looking for somebody who would pull her through an open water swim. And a mutual friend said, I think I know somebody and we were introduced and um, a lifelong bond was formed immediately. One day she turned to me and she said, I want to do an Ironman. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, she's like, we can do it. And I said, all right, let's, let's think about it. Let's explore the options. She's like, no, no, let's just do it. I said, okay. So um, we started out training and we did an Ironman. And again, it was one of those things that brought a tremendous amount of attention. While we were on the Ironman course, we saw other competitors who were sitting down on the side who were ready to quit. And they saw us come by and they were like, okay, that's motivating. If you can do it, we can do it. If you are, you know, pulling somebody, if Carrie's sitting there in this uncomfortable position for all of these hours and can endure it, then we can endure it too. And they got up and they went. So that was an incredible experience for us, not just finishing the Ironman, but knowing that we were having this impact on others. So we heard about a race that was called Florida Extreme, and it was a 300 mile, three day triathlon trek across the state of Florida. So you swam in one place for the day, then you biked about a hundred miles to the next location and then ran and it went on for three days. So we decided that that was sort of the next step in triathlon and that if we could complete this, that we would be able to send a message to the world that the only limitations you have are the ones you place on yourself. And that was our goal in trying this. We actually never thought we would really be able to complete it, um, but we did. And we set the Guinness world record for the most triathlons, long distance triathlons in that you know short period of time. So we also both really love running. And we saw in these smaller, more localized races, how we could really make a difference. So we wanted to bring it bigger and we wanted to get sort of more on a national stage and international. We've competed in Cozumel and, you know, in many different places. So we set our sights then on the fastest marathon pushing another in a wheelchair. And we did that at the New York Marathon. And we knew that the New York Marathon had, you know, drew national attention and 
we just wanted to show everybody our purpose was to say there's a place at the start line for everybody. No matter what your ability, whether you're differently abled, whatever it may be, there's a, there's a place at the start line for everybody. And that was our purpose. And so we went to um, the New York Marathon and we did set that record there. And, you know, the greatest thing was that we did get some national and even international attention. And we heard from people all around the world that said, I have, you know, this perceived limitation. I know now it's not a limitation. And they ended up competing in sports and things of that nature. And our third record, which we just set in December of, of last year, so just a month ago, December 20th, which we're still waiting for Guinness to certify, we just sent them all the evidence, was the most miles pushing a wheelchair in 12 hours. So we set up a course, we had a professional surveyor come in, and um, we just went in a, about a one and a half mile circle for 12 hours and we oh completed <laughs> it was a mental challenge as much as physical and completed I, it was 58.116 miles in the 12 hours and again it was to show people especially at these times that when two people who may be on the outside are so seemingly different when they come together and work together that anything is possible wow that that is absolutely amazing. And I think it's, I think it's like, it's like hard to wrap your mind around that you guys were able to do this. Like when you think about how many miles was the Florida one again? So that was 300 miles when we were swimming, biking and running. And then okay. 12 hours. Yeah. Just like, see. just all the listeners, just think about that, how they were able to accomplish that much running around a track for that long yeah. and just a, just even getting over that like mental block not not even talking about physical just even being able to mentally do that is absolutely amazing and really inspiring for everyone listening so that's Thank amazing you. and just like out of a curious just like a curiosity question so like how can you bike swim and run while like towing another person like so when you're running, there's a wheelchair, but like, how do the other ones work? So we, the, you always start with the swim in triathlon and um, Carrie is laying in an inflatable kayak that is then tied to my waist. So I'm swimming, pulling her in the kayak while it's tied to my waist. And then when we get out of the water, we put her in the racing wheelchair and that racing wheelchair has an attachment that attaches to the back of my bike. And then we, I pull it through the bike portion and then it detaches from my bike and I get behind it and push it for the run. Wow. Okay. Got it. That, that makes sense. That is really cool. Okay. So to transition, I wanted to know how you manage your athletic responsibilities and then other responsibilities like your job and being a mother um, as two examples. So is it, is it difficult or do you see that they complement each other or? I think that they definitely complement each other and that it's just a lifestyle that you live. I wake up very early when I need to get in long runs, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, waking up at four in the morning, waking up at five in the morning during the week, I'll usually get in two runs. 
So in the morning, maybe I'll get up just maybe at six and run till 730, come home, you know, help my kids get off to school and all of that. And then sometimes mid-afternoon, I have to get in a second run. Sun, you know, I have teenagers, so Saturday and Sundays, they sleep very late <laughs> now. So I'll, you know, get in, wake up, maybe even just at six o'clock, sleep in a little later and get in a long run. If it has to be really, really long, then I get up at four. Racing these long distances definitely takes me away. And I make my racing schedule around them, not around you know, the races I want to do because my family has to come first. So sometimes they conflict, but it makes the ones that work out even sweeter and even better. Um, I love getting to race in my hometown. I'm actually leaving early tomorrow morning for a 125 mile run from Miami to Naples. You run directly across the state from the east to the west coast of the state. So that's super fun and I'm excited. And, you know, I'll probably, I'll leave Miami. The race will start at 6 a.m. in Miami on Saturday and it will finish. I should finish somewhere around 8 or 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. And I know that if I can get home, just drive straight back home after, then I can be there by the time my kids wake up. So instead of staying at the finish line and enjoying and partying and celebrating, I'll just, I always, you know, make sure I get right home for my family. So I'm there when they are here. Wow. That, wow. That, that's amazing that like your family is your top priority. And I'm sure that it would be so nice to be with everyone like, yeah, look what I just did. (laughs) Um, But then making sure that you're there for your responsibility as a mother and still fostering those very important relationship. So that's awesome. Many times I just bring them with me and I make them be my crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this, they can shout you out. That's awesome. Yeah, like, you know, I've had some amazing opportunities to race around the world and they've gotten to come with me on some fun ones. So it always balances out, but family first always. Yes, definitely. And I'm sure that they're very inspired by you. Um, Every once in a while, I make them run it with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They've all run at least a half marathon. (laughs) Wow. And they're young. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So um, another question that I had is um, some listeners might be feeling like, oh, like there's no way I could ever do that. Like I say that I'm a runner, but like, wow, like I I barely have done anything. So I want to know what you would say to maybe beginner runners or people who might want to get into running, but aren't sure, or maybe feel like a little intimidated. Yeah. Well, it's definitely intimidating. And I have to say, honestly, when I talk about it, it sounds intimidating to me, you know? So <laughs> when, when I'm talking about it, it might sound a little crazy even to myself, but when you're in the moment, you just let your mind take over. So the one thing that I say to everybody is that, I don't have any special talent, right? Everybody and anybody can do it. It's literally putting one foot in front of the other. And um, it even works for people, as you see, who can't put their own foot in front of the other, right? It's coming together and finding a way to make it happen, which is how Carrie and I race. But you don't go out and say, oh, I I can run two miles, so I'm going to run a marathon. Like that's not how it works. You have to slowly build up. It's just like anything. When you're taking a math class, you don't go right to calculus, right? You start with algebra, integrated math, maybe even pre-calculus. You have to build that foundation 
So what I tell everybody is very slowly build up, set a goal, go out for runs, make it fun, make it social, ask a friend to meet you. You know, my running takes up a lot of my extra time that might be my social time. So I try to get friends to meet me for a run. Or if it's a day that I have something, you know, easier and I just need like for my training extra time on my feet, I'll call a friend. I live in Miami. Hey, go for a long walk on the beach with me. So work it into your schedule in a way that doesn't take away from something else, but that complements it. And it ends up being also a lot of self-care, right? So the time that I go out and run, that's the time that I can clear my head and that I take time just for me, which is really important for everybody too. But the most important thing is to get out and do it, have accountability. If you want to start running, sign up for a 5K, sign up for a 5K in two months from now. So you know, it's looming over your head. It will get you to go out there and don't just try to go run 3.1 miles. Start at one mile and very, very slowly build because anybody can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's awesome advice. Actually, in, in my running journey, when I was in middle school, we would have to run the mile and I like really struggled. Like I was almost one of the last people and my cousin, he, he runs a lot. And, uh, like two summers ago, he set up a spreadsheet for me to do. And it was like, I eventually did a 10 K, but it started with like one mile, one mile, just yeah. like very like that. And the spreadsheet kept me accountable and, and it was great. And I wasn't injured or anything. So it was you awesome. Took it slowly. Yep. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, okay. And then, um, my second to last question is, do you have any fun hobbies or any fun facts or other things you do outside of these epic runs? <laughs> well, they definitely take up a lot of time. So <laughs> yeah. I would say that my, my epic journeys with running, I try to get a chance to go all different places throughout the world and especially in the country as well. So I get to travel while I do it and see the world I did. So I would definitely say that travel is my other fun hobby, but I bring them together. So for example, a year or two ago, I went out to Antelope Canyon in Arizona and just saw the amazing slot canyons. Remember, and I made that trip around a hundred mile race that went through all the canyons. So I got to see them on foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's awesome that you're able to tie your love of travel to what you do with running. And that's really cool. Travel is awesome. You get to learn about other cultures, see new places, eat new food. So I love yeah. travel as well. Yeah, it's And it's just, it opens up this huge world to you. And one of the best things that I always do when I travel safely, of course, I always, you know, find out what the right places to go and so far, but go for a run first thing in the morning in a new city and you really get to see it. Yeah. It sort of brings everything together. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's awesome. So my very last question, sort of as a summary question. So I Dream of Dance is an organization that promotes health, exercise, and education in youth. So as a summary question, why is health or education, which includes research, important to you? Or why do you think it's important that um, students get involved in exercise? So I think that especially in the last two years and living through a pandemic, we see how important your 
physical health is to your mental health and your ability to concentrate and learn. We're, we should all be educating ourselves throughout our lives. But as a, as a student, as a child, that is your job. And you can't do your job unless you feel good, unless you are able to concentrate. And without exercise, the ability to move, the ability to be mobile, you really can't concentrate. So I think that number one, being able to focus in school is a critical component to any part of education. And in order to be able to do that, you have to have physical outlets as well. So that's why things like PE, extracurriculars after school are really a critical component of educating our future and our youth. And I think that the next thing is that in there's we're trying to draw a lot of attention now to mental health and that exercise is a really important component of mental health. I know that for me, when I'm not feeling well and I'm stressed about something, I can go out for a short run, even if it's 10 minutes and come back and it's cleared my mind. And it's something that I do for myself. And I think that students today are really overburdened and overtaxed. And that one of the things that they really need is an outlet and exercise is an important, healthy outlet for stress. And if we can manage our stress, we can manage our mental health. If we can manage our mental health and feel good, then we can focus in school. And they're just all interrelated and critical and vital for the future of our youth, our country, and our world. Yeah, that, that was an amazing response, how you were able to weave together mental health, physical health, education. And now that like I think about it, they are really, really connected and sort of essential to one another. So thank you so much for highlighting that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So thank you so much again for spending your time with me. You're a beautiful speaker. You're so humble. It's just, it was really a pleasure to talk to you today. And I'm so excited um, for everyone to listen to this episode. So Thank you so much, Karen, for being here today. It was truly my honor. This is incredible and amazing. And I look forward to listening to your future broadcasts. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you so much again. And thank you to everyone who listened to season one of our podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great day, Karen. Bye, everyone.